and good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith with another episode of Cinema, brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. I thought I would diverge a little bit today on this episode to talk about kind of um, the origins of my own cinema. For most of you who don't know, I used to run a mall movie cineplex in in, uh, my hometown. And uh, I was never really happy working there. And and for those of you listening, most of you know that uh, working with the public is just one of the worst things uh, to deal with sometimes. I mean, the, the public can just be absolutely excruciating. And running this movie theater, I ran it from 1988 to 1996. Damn it, I, I guess I just gotta say it, man. Most people, not most people, but there are a lot of dumb people out there. And that's what it really boils down to. And and even looking at the, the present situation of what's just recently erupted in the wake of this pandemic with the social unrest that is going on, uh, it's it's just amazing that that things happen the way that they do and they happen in this day and age. As I've said in previous podcasts, the, the definition of cinema is the ability to do better. You have the means and the ability to do better and you just choose not to. And that's a lot like working with the public. One time a lady came up to the concession stand and I would work in the concession stand right along with my employees. I mean, you, you have to move these people through. I mean, there were nights where sometimes well over, you know, two, three, four thousand people could come to the movies, especially on a rainy afternoon. To this day, I'm telling you, if I wake up in the summertime and I hear rain on the roof, I think, oh my God, the theaters are going to be packed today. That's that's PTSD from working this job. And in the summer of 1989 specifically, all it did was rain. And I just want to give you a lineup of, of what we had um, playing at that time, for those of you who can remember. It was the summer of 89. You had Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. You had Ghostbusters 2. Uh, you had Dead Poets Society, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Star Trek V, and the big one of them all. Say it with me now. Batman. Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, beforehand, dealing with the public is tough, and, and you would get all kinds of weird questions. I mean, you know, one time a lady came up and asked with a straight face, how much is your $1.75 soda? Well, it's $1.75, okay? So, and I know people go, well, wait a minute, maybe she met with tax, and I know. It said very clearly on the sign, tax included, $1.75. It was all there. I had people walk right up to the concession stand and ask, do you sell popcorn here? And, and you want to give all these sarcastic responses such as, no, we're hoarding the popcorn for the great popcorn panic that is coming. I had an employee behind the stand and a lady came up and she asked, what do you have to drink? And the guy said, well, we have Coke, Diet Coke or Sprite. And she goes, you don't have lemonade? And he goes, did I fucking say lemonade? <laughs> Which I had to reprimand that employee and take him out. But my God, could I relate to him? Dealing with all of this, and I could go on and on about all these different stories of these people, I'm, I'm sticking to this one, and that is the summer of 1989 and the July 4th weekend of 1989 and when we had our Batman riot. So let's go back to the end of June. I think it was like June 29th that Batman opened. It had a sneak preview. 
And we already were told by Warner Brothers when they send the print and everything that, you know, this is going to be a big film, yada, yada, yada. You know, watch. We had to screen the film. We had to watch it in advance. And I got to say this. This was a big bonus. For eight years, I never watched a movie with the public. I would just thread movies up and I would be able to watch them on my own to an entire theater to myself. And we used to pop the popcorn, put it in these big 50-gallon garbage bags, you know, for storage overnight. And you would just carry this huge honking bag of popcorn down and sit in any theater in the house and watch the movie. Now, of course, if the movie sucked, you really had to watch it all the way through. It had to play through. There was no digital at that time that you could just stop it and end it. You would have to stop the print and there's no way to rewind it. So um, we we either had the print uh, on what we called the regular reels, which it came in cans. It came in like anywhere from six to eight reels. And then um, you built those reels and put them on bigger reels, like the old school movie projector. You when you see the image of the gigantic reels that the film runs on. And then we got platter systems, which then... Uh, You would load them up on these reels. The film would go through the projector and then up onto three different platters, one of three different platters. So it was self-winding is what it was. It was self-rewinding. And then you just re-thread the film again to start the next show. But Batman was going to be different. We called it bicycling the print. And what that meant was you, you took those small reels, built them into the big reels, and then you would put the big reel on... We had two big reels... And you put them on your two big projectors. Uh, The first projector would run through and then the second one would kick on. When that second one kicked on, you took the first reel off, you rewound it, and you ran over to an adjacent movie theater where another 300 people could be sitting. And you put it up there so you could play Batman effectively in two houses at that time. So the summer of 1989 was going to be the summer of, of the Bat. And I remembered thinking, uh, we, we saw the 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 sneak preview. We watched it and we, we, you know, all watch it. We invited all the employees, anybody who wanted to see it. I remember thinking like, okay, yeah, this is different. And I'm not a superhero guy. And I've said that before in previous podcasts. So for me, it was like, okay, I get this. I mean, you know, there was a big stir at that time. Will Michael Keaton be any good as Batman and Bruce Wayne? And, and it turned out he was just fine. And the big thing was, is that Jack Nicholson was playing the Joker. And it was very unique. It had a unique vision. It was definitely a Tim Burton film, the whole thing. And you could see where it's going to be like, wow, this this thing's going to have some legs for the summer. Now combine that with really bad weather and you've got a monster on your hands. The next day was when the film would officially open up to the official sneak preview for the public. And I had to come in early and we got the first hint that there was going to be trouble was that we got a fax from Warner Brothers and it said uh, along the line that uh, if, if anybody in any of the theaters scalps the tickets, you're going to be fired and, and you will be prosecuted. So there, I guess there was such demand for these sneak preview tickets that some theater managers or employees were, were scalping them. They were selling them for incredible markup. And I thought, this is ridiculous. No, who's going to want to do that? Well, no kidding, man. I, I get out there. I get into the box office to load Uh, the tickets for the coming evening. Now we're talking, this is about one o'clock in the afternoon and the show doesn't go on. It's not going to go on until like late night. It was like the last show of the evening. It was a late night sneak preview. And so I thought, you know, I'll just go get this ahead of of schedule and get all my other work done for the day because tonight could actually be crazy. And I, we had a, a gate that came down in front of the entrance to the theater 
And uh, this guy walked up and he must have been like maybe in his late 20s, early 30s. And this guy walked up to the gate and he goes, are those the tickets for Batman tonight? Because he saw I was loading them in. And I said, as a matter of fact, they are. The, this side is for the sneak preview. And he said, he goes, I'll give you $500 cash right now for the first ticket. If you print me up right now the first ticket to this film, I will slide $500 to you. And without even asking or saying anything, he already did it. He produced five $100 bills and put them through the gate on my box office. And I looked at him like, this has got to be a setup. We just got this fax from, from Warner Brothers. This has to be a setup. There's, there's no way that this happened or it's an incredible coincidence. And uh, I looked at him. I mean, $500 was really tempting, but it, it wasn't worth losing my job. I, I was thinking about going back to college and stuff at the time. I'm living on my own. So it's not really good to be unemployed for $500. And uh, I looked at him and I said, why don't you take that $500 and go get yourself a nice piece of ass? That's exactly what I said to him. And the guy looked at me like, you know, who are you to talk to me that way? And he said, no, I'm serious. I, I really want that first ticket. It's worth it to me. And I said, I can't do that. You can come back and you can stand here. And when the gates open, you can buy that first ticket for the proper ticket price. But I can't take this money. Well, he took his money back and he walked off in a huff. Was it a setup? I, I have no idea. I suspect it was not. It was what we would call later the first of the Bat Freaks. So that night the movie went on and for the sneak preview and, and it was a nightmare. It was a bigger turnout than I could have ever expected. And we sold it out. I mean, it just, it was standing room only in that theater. So we knew we had something on our hands. So now we flash forward to July 4th weekend, 1989. I was working the box office, getting the, the money, taking it upstairs, helping out in the concession stand. You're, you're running all over the place where we're understaffed because just so many people are coming to see this thing. But it's July 4th weekend in the Poconos. So all of New York and New Jersey decide to come to the damn Poconos for the holiday. They, as they did for Memorial Day and the Pocono 500 and everything else. It, we were ground zero as a vacation spot and still that we still are. And the real problem was it just decided to rain. And it rained that entire July 4th weekend. And what that means is people have nothing to do. So they're at their hotels, they're at their resorts, and it's pouring down rain. And on top of it, ladies and gentlemen, we were summer camp heaven. So many summer camps around us. So what do they decide to do? Bring busloads of kids down to the movies. And they would do this. I'm talking three, four buses full of kids from summer camps to come down to the movies. So you're getting blasted by the weather. You're, you're getting far more people than what you usually do. And on top of it, you're getting summer camps. So it's, it's an absolute nightmare. And the film is cranking. I forget how many shows a day we were showing this movie, but we were showing it in two houses. And as I said, we were bicycling the print. Now I had a projectionist over in the projection booth. And I had an assistant manager way down at the other end. And I had my co-manager. We were up there as well together. It was that busy. And we had all of our uh, employees in the stands. The place is cranking. If you could just see it, just picture a mob of people, just an endless sea of people just pouring in and lining up so far behind the box office. And then back then you had the ticket holders line and the ticket buyers line. And you had to set up these stanchions with the velvet ropes. 
And I mean, talk. I'm talking about the lines for this movie just went the length of the mall. And it's no exaggeration. And as soon as one movie was out, one show was out, we'd send our employees, and I would too, I'd suit up with a leaf blower and we'd go in and we'd blow all the garbage down to the front of the theater and we would use snow shovels to scoop it all up and put it into garbage bags and take it out in the dumpster and the dumpsters were overflowing. That's how much business we were doing. And people, all they wanted to see was Batman, Batman, Batman. And then of course, when Batman sold out, they would spill over into the other movies that were playing. But the focus here is on Batman. So I took a wad of cash upstairs and I'm telling you for for just a couple shows in the afternoon, by mid-afternoon, you're depositing over $25,000 in cash. And I'm at my desk in the office when our projectionist walked over. And and this projectionist, this guy was so cool. He was a, a college guy uh, working, I believe at that time, he was going to major in computers. And um, he came over and he was very low key. His name was Andy and he never got worked up over anything. He was really mellow and really relaxed and he took care of problems. He never bothered you for anything. Andy walked into my office and he looked at us. It was me and, and the other manager. And he just looked at us and he bit his bottom lip and he went, yeah, we got a problem over here. And to me, it felt like somebody punched me in the stomach because I knew that that Andy doesn't exaggerate. If he said we had a problem, we got a big problem. So we got up and we ran over into the booth and I saw it just the moment I walked through the door. And what happened was the film in the biggest house, which had 300 people in it, the film had jumped off the track on the sprockets, that the teeth that pull the film through the gate. And what happened was the film had slit up the middle and it was, it was all over the floor up to my waist like spaghetti. The film was split down the middle and it did this <laughs> right toward the end of the film. And I can tell you exactly where we had to stop this movie. It was when the Joker shoots down the Batwing in the center of Gotham and it crashes in front of the cathedral. So we're looking around at each other and, and I look to the other manager and I'm looking to Andy and it's like, you know, what the hell do we do? Because keep in mind, we have another theater with almost 300 people in it watching the movie as well because we're bicycling the reels. We're moving them back and forth, which means both houses are not going to finish this movie and we're going to have to refund almost 1,000 people with already 1,000 people down in our lobby and that lobby couldn't hold them. This is a mess. The first instinct I had was hit the main breaker on the power box for that theater. What'll happen is everything will go black, the emergency lights will come on, and it'll scare people. And we can tell them that a car or a truck somewhere outside the mall hit a pole and knocked the power down to this theater. Most people will probably buy it quickly because of the circumstances. And the reason why I said to do that is because I turned to everybody else in that booth and I said, if we tell these people that this is our fault, they're going to riot. And keep in mind, another fax had come from Warner Brothers not much before this, right after the scalping fax after the movie opened, uh, someone refused to give up a seat in Batman in New York City and a guy pulled out a gun and shot the guy dead in the seat for his Batman seat. 
So we have a major problem on our hands here. I said, they're going to freak. They're going to riot. This is going to be ugly. And no, 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 that's that's lying. That's deceiving. We can't do that. We got to be honest. I'm like, okay, if this is what you want to do, well, we finally decided that's what we're going to do. And Andy hit stop on the projector. It was a big red button. And he punched his thumb into it and the projector stopped. And here's where I'm going to tell you, man, that booth was supposed to be soundproof and you could hear the audience scream down there. And keep in mind, they have sat through almost two hours of this movie to get to the big ending where Batman and the Joker square off and they're not going to see the end. And I heard that scream and I looked to my counterparts like, still think this was a good move because now we have to go down and tell the audience what's going on. So I go down with the other manager and just before we open those doors to go in. <laughs> he looks at me and he says, you can make the announcement. I said, why do I get to make the announcement? He said, well, you have the bigger voice. Oh my God. Now, also, just so you know, uh, before we hit stop on that, I did run over to the other theater, uh, the one where the movie had not slit up the middle because my brother was in there with his uh, wife and, and friends. And um, I told him, I said, listen, you need to get the hell out of here now. And he's like, why? What? He goes, is there a problem? I said, yeah, there's a big problem. And it's going to get really ugly in about 10 minutes. So get the hell out of here. Now you can come because he would see the movies for free all the time. I'd let him in for free. So for eight years, he didn't pay to see a movie. And I said, just get out of here now, because I'm telling you in about 10 minutes, you're not going to be able to get out of here and it's going to get ugly. Well, he did. They packed right up and they left. It was like five people. They all got up out of the row and they left. So we Hit that button, like I said, that stop button. We go downstairs, we open up those doors and everybody, I mean, it was sold out. Every seat was taken and they're glaring at us as we're walking down this gauntlet, down this carpeted aisle to the front of the screen and people are already starting to yell, hey, what's going on? What the fuck's going on? What the, put the fucking movie back on. Everybody's starting to yell. You can feel it. It's starting to rise, right? Because we killed it right at this big spot. And... We got up to the front of the theater. I put my hands up to get people to listen. And all I got out of my mouth was, ladies and gentlemen, we're, and I heard, fuck you. And this Snapple bottle, this glass Snapple bottle came winging right by my head, just missed me and and the other guy, hit the screen and fell on the floor. And I looked to him and I said, run. And we booked up the middle of that aisle all the way up and they were coming out of the seats like the gremlins. Remember that when the gremlins were in the movie theater going after Billy and all them when they were behind the screen, they were pouring out of the seats and I ran out and I closed the doors behind me and I kid you not, I know what you're going to say. Oh my God, that's dangerous. But I took a push broom and I shoved it through the door handles (laughs) and I turned to the box office and there were two girls in the box office and I yelled, call the police. And they went, what? And I screamed it out loud, call the police now, tell them to report here now. And the door was pulsing. They were pushing, trying to get out because the broomstick was holding them. I pulled that broomstick out and the doors opened up and they came pouring out of that theater. Like it was a scene, like standing there looking at it. It was like when the zombies came into the elevator in Dawn of the Dead. That's what it was like. And they filled that lobby and they're screaming and they're yelling 
and that there is one woman in my face. I'll never forget this. This woman was screaming, this old lady. She was like, you did this deliberately. You did this deliberately. It's like, yeah, I can't think of a better way to spend my afternoon than doing this. And then in addition to that, they ran over to the box office and this crowd surrounded the box office and they want their money back. And I'm yelling to everybody, we are prepared to refund you and give you passes, but that's not good enough. And I understand, here's the other part. I truly get it because it's pouring outside some of these, but they had nothing to do. And most of all, they wanted to see this movie and, and now they're never going to see the ending of it, at least not today. And, and it, it just started to get ugly because they grabbed, we had a box office that actually spun around because when the gate came down, you had to spin the box office around so the gate could go down the back of the box office. Then in the morning, you rose the gate and you spun the box office out and it went out into the mall. Well, they started picking that box office up. They were rocking it. They were rocking this with the two girls in there and they're screaming, you know, we want our money. We want our money. They're banging it. The glass is starting to break inside the box office. They're hitting it on the floor. It was pandemonium. It, it, it was just crazy. And on top of it, we had to go in to tell the other group, the other theater, which now already 300 people are pissed off in the lobby with other people waiting there to get candy and soda for their other movies. And now 300 more people are going to join them. It, it, I can't even begin to describe to you. It was, it was a riot is what it was. And I remembered there was a moment where I just kind of stood back and I looked at all of this after that woman got done screaming, there, there was some guy that told me he was going to kill me, like, because he couldn't see the ending. It, it was nuts. And I want to take a moment here to also tell you, since the movie opened from the very first night it opened, not the sneak preview, but its official starting date the day after, there was a dude that came to the theater every Friday night dressed as Batman. And I'm talking the Tim Burton Batman the, the latex suit, the boots, the, the everything. I mean, this, this guy had to spend some serious money on this outfit. I, I shit you not. And he had the grease paint under the eyes. And I remember when the ticket taker would tear the ticket, they, they'd stare at me at the cowl. Like, you can do that now. I mean, he had the cape and everything. And he'd walk through. And I remember um, the ticket taker one time said, you know, uh, you know thank you, enjoy the show. And, and the guy just went, thank you. Like he talked like Batman. So the one night I had to approach this guy, I don't know how old he was. I couldn't see under the mask. And uh, I just joked with him. I said, hey, you know, you, you come here every Friday night and he's just staring at me. And I said, you know, while you're here, you know, the Joker can be out in town raising all kinds of hell. Do you really think you should be watching a movie tonight? And he never even flinched. He never said a word. He didn't smirk. He didn't think I was funny at all. And he just went in and he saw Batman every Friday night. So while I'm standing with this wave of people all around me, all I'm thinking is, now where the hell is Batman when you really need him? I, I just had to look at it all and I thought, look at how they're behaving. Like they don't have to act like this because it's just a movie. In the end, that's all it is. Yeah, I, I would say I'd be disappointed. I, I might even be pissed off. But to, to threaten people and rock the box office and have to call in the police. And when the police finally came, they realized they were in over their heads. They had to call for backup from, from the neighboring town. They had to bring in police from the neighboring town. And, and they're, they're screaming and they're yelling obscenities. And there are children in this lobby and they don't care. They're pushing past other people who are there to see other movies. And it just really, 
it disheartened me. I mean, I, I, I remember feeling like that theater experience, not just Batman, but that theater experience itself working there for eight years really poisoned my soul when it came to, to dealing with people because there's no need to act that way at all. You, you could be pissed. I mean, look, I know they could, where are they all going to go? It's going to be hard to organize all these people, but it's not like we, there was some conspiracy against all of them to do this. And here's the ironic part about it. The movie was out on video cassette by that October. They rioted and did all of this for a motion picture that they could buy. And I know all those thoughts aren't going through people's heads, but I thought right there and then that, my God, people suck. And so this is an example of kind of societal cinema, C-Y-N-E-M-A, where people didn't have to behave this way. You didn't have to do it that badly. And hours, it took us hours to get all the refunds done. And then of course, those other 300 people, they poured out. And, and it was just, it was awful. And I can tell you this, from then on out, whenever it rained, I would wake up in the morning if I knew I had to go into work at the theater. And whenever it rained, I remembered I would think, today is going to suck. That's all there is to it. And once you make up your mind that the day will suck, you, you kind of get through it a little bit better. But back then, it was kind of like I, I just couldn't believe all of this. I was so overwhelmed by the inhumanity of people over a movie. By the time it was all done, I mean, we, we handed out all the refunds. We gave out passes to people. We apologized profusely. I mean, I did everything short of slitting my wrists and giving them a pint of blood each. I, I, it was, like I said, it was disheartening. And by the time the police got things under control and we got people flooded out and moving people out, because keep in mind also, there were people that got their money and they still stayed there to complain. Okay, they still just wanted to be heard and to bitch and complain. It's like, look, you got your money back. There's nothing I can do right now. Please leave. And they would not leave. And finally, we got the place cleared out and there was this one guy, I'll never forget it. He was out in the mall and he was screaming like one of those uh, city corner preachers. And he is screaming and yelling and he's saying, don't go to, well, it was Lowe's Theaters at the time. Don't go to Lowe's. They rip you off. They don't let you see the end of the movie. Screaming this like crazy. Well, I had this one usher who was also, he was a college football player. And he was huge. This kid was about like six, eight, you know, 300 pounds, that kind of thing. And I looked at him and I pointed at that guy and I said, do something to him. And he went out into the hallway, grabbed this guy by his shirt collar and belt loop. And he walked over to the front doors of the mall, kicked open the front door and said, beat it, freak. And he threw him right out the door. And he turned around and he said, God damn bat freaks is what he said. And that, I think, is part of the origin other than Jaws the Revenge, which deals, of course, with movies. But there's a piece of that cinema or cynicism in my soul where it just makes you lose faith in humanity where you realize we're screwed. We're never going to get better. Things will never get better with us because as a species, I just sometimes wonder, do we really want things to get better? 
I mean, once once you realize that this was just over a movie, no one died here. There was no injustice here. It was an inconvenience is what it was. A bunch of people were inconvenienced. And I understand that. And I get all of that. But to do what they did and that woman, I can still see that woman with her finger wagging in my face, screaming at me. You did this deliberately. You did this deliberately. I mean, we had one time a woman come out of Schindler's List screaming all kinds of Jewish slurs because Lowe's was Jewish run and they are too cheap. The Jews are too cheap to show Schindler's List in color. And that's why it's in black and white. What do you say to that? I mean, do you walk over to this woman and try to explain, you know, Spielberg shot the movie in black and white and it really is no cost difference whether we showed in black and white or color because it's film and that's it. I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I, you, you stand there and you stare at these people and, and you go, we have no hope. And it goes beyond that. I mean, in a future episode, I'll, I'll talk about some of my other experiences with this. Uh, even during a movie like The Santa Claus, during a, uh, a Christmas season, the worst comes out of people. But for July 4th weekend, 1989, folks, that is what I think truly hardened my heart for the human race was to see how people reacted when a simple movie ripped up and discontinued and they had to get a refund. So can you imagine what people are going to do when it comes time for when the real shit goes down? Can you just imagine how that's going to go? I mean, the pandemic was bad enough with toilet paper hoarding and all of that. What is going to happen when the real stuff goes down? This is Harrison Smith. July 4th weekend is coming up. And if you watch Batman, always remember, it's right after the Joker shot him down over Gotham in that Batwing with the giant gun that he pulled out of his pants. I don't know if this qualifies as a true 100% cinema episode, but I felt it was a good story to tell. I hope all of you, wherever you are in the world, you are safe, your loved ones are safe, and I wish you all well. Thank you for listening. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.